STEMQ New England Northwest brings together expertise in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics from across the region. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and here on the STEMQ podcast, you'll be hearing from leaders in industry, community, government, and universities about the groundbreaking innovations that are happening right here in regional New South Wales. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan Country at the University of New England in Armadale. Welcome back. This episode, I'm joined by the director of the Poultry Hub, Tamsin Crowley. Tamsin, thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Now, as a non-Armadale local or someone who's only been in town for a couple of years, I realized when I came here that Armadale was famous for the wrong things. As an outsider, you come here and you think it's famous for autumn colors and churches. And I'm realizing that there are all these other fields that it really punches above its weight in. And one of them strangely, is poultry science. Do you know how all this has come about? Look, great question, and I must declare that I've only been here five years too, So, but I can tell you I moved here because of the poultry science. So, so Armadale's reputation preceded it. Very much so, and look, I think it's because they had what was called a CRC, so a Cooperative Research Centre, and it was the hub for, for that, and that ran for 14 years. And during that time, they built you know, an amazing network and some really cool research. So I think for me, I'm really come up here on the back of, of that 14 years, uh, and that's probably why uh, you've now found out poultry is pretty cool. And especially around here, it's it's definitely punching above its weight. Is it a hub for just research or is it a poultry producing region as well? Not quite a poultry producing region unless you include Tamworth. And if you include Tamworth, well and truly. So Tamworth's one of the main employers is poultry, uh, particularly meat. But in this region, there's a heap of egg farms as well. And the Poultry Hub, or this the CRC you were talking about, has sort of changed a couple of times and is now just the Poultry Hub. Well, simple question, what is a Poultry Hub? Great question. So at the end of those 14 years I just mentioned, the industry was super excited to continue I think the network and the output of the CRC and so Poultry Hub was created. So the first question you usually get is what's the difference between Poultry Hub and the CRC? And the answer is, well, we had a lot less money in Poultry Hub and that might sound like a bad thing and hey, I'd love more money, but we also are a lot, we're a lot more nimble. So we can respond a lot quicker because we don't have the government telling us all these tick boxes we have to, you know, meet. And so, yeah, industry can literally call me on the phone this afternoon and say, hey, Tamsin, we've got a problem. And then we can go about having to solve that. And it's based here on campus at the University of New England, but it's a separate entity, right? Sort of. The the words you're after are semi-autonomous. Okay. So we, we definitely wouldn't exist without the university, uh, but we can operate in a way that is a lot more nimble than, say, a, a school or a faculty, which is great because if we didn't, industry would want nothing to do with us. And so you're doing research on poultry production, but it's research that's going to inform industry why, why is it important that you have this, this hub? Why aren't, you know, I guess, the, the chicken producers themselves doing this as just, just market research? 
So we we do research, but in conjunction, we also do education programs and training. And I think it's that suite of tools that we have and knowledge that benefit the industry. But one of the key things about research is independence. And so, you know, if a, a large poultry company is doing their own research, even if they've got the top scientists doing it, people will question the research coming out. And so we create an option where people can come and get independent research done and we've got the credibility to be able to, you know, say this is what the research said. And obviously there's lots of industry funding too that's behind it. How do you then take the findings of your research and share them back with industry? Are you just publishing them like any other academic would or these industry reports? How does it, how does it all work? It really depends on the project, but we always uh, push for scientific publication. But a really good example, we had a great uh, project uh, just recently, and we've now published some guidelines that will go back directly to industry. And together with those guidelines, we've got a whole suite of training. And so sometimes projects are really directly impactful. So they might that won't end up in a scientific publication, but it will inform <clears throat> what they do exactly on farm. So, yeah, pretty cool when you can have that sort of impact. And the research facilities you have, you have all sorts of animal husbandry facilities and things. Can you give us a run through what we're doing there? Are we looking at meat? Eggs, ducks, chickens, what's all there? You name it, we can do okay. it, even um, <laughs> even turkeys. I think the really standout thing, and, and this is really a testament to UNE, is the fact that we also have a feed mill. So the reason that's so important is that the production of meat or eggs, 70% of it, of the cost, comes down to feed. So feed is the thing that the industry is very... Uh, concerned with and so if you know here we can make any kind of feed and we can test the performance of the chickens or how it might affect egg quality or whatever they need to know um, and we can do that all on site and to give you an idea of how important feed is I'm sure you know currently we're experiencing you know demand on wheat uh, and chickens also eat wheat and that has put the price of feed skyrocketing. So, you know, these sorts of challenges, if we can find alternates to wheat. Another really good one is soybean meal. At the moment, we import most of our soybean meal from overseas. Not very sustainable, but that's how we get protein in the feed. If we can find alternatives to, to soybean meal that are grown locally, that's going to be a much better sustainable you know, sustainable feed for chickens. What would these alternatives be? Look, we've looked into anything from insects. So you, you may have heard about, you know, insects being fed to animals. Not strange because anyone who's got backyard chickens knows that, you know, they it's hunt around. normal for them, yeah. That's it. Um, the only thing I'll say about insects is that we're quite a few years away from producing enough insects to fill that niche. So really it comes about looking at other um, sources of protein 
or other additives in the feed that might enhance smaller amounts of protein. So really micromanaging everything. Um, I like to, to think about people who bodybuild and, you know, the level of effort that they put into everything that goes into their body. That's what a chicken nutritionist does. They make sure that it is, you know, tip top diet that goes in. And I was amazed at how precise these nutritionists can be. It's almost like there's a formula for this much water and this much food equals this much chicken meat, right? Oh, so so I think, you know, you're talking about ratios. So mm. how much chicken feed does it take to produce one kilo of chicken? And so at the moment we're sitting in industry anywhere from 1.2 kilos of feed to 1.4 kilos of feed produces one kilo of chicken meat now that and you know not compared to anything else doesn't mean much but for fish so they're the only protein source that beat chicken they're one for one with cows it's 12 kilos of feed to one kilo of meat and so you can start to see that that's really important particularly on a sustainability front and obviously you're not just looking at yield you're also looking at health and well-being of captive animals how how can you measure a happy chicken that's so funny you ask that so (laughs) as a scientist when I came up here uh, I've obviously taken much more of a management role but as any good scientist I haven't given up my science so (laughs) you've just touched on what I do for science Um, so we still have a research lab running down at Deakin University and we're looking at markers to I really hesitate to use the word happy because, (laughs) hey, even if you ask a person who can speak, uh, are you happy? It's not just usually a simple yes or no answer. Mm. So with chickens, what we have done is looked at whether we can find biomarkers, so markers that will show whether they're stressed and markers whether they're in what we call a positive affective state. And the markers that we've used are ones that they use to detect cancer. So they're super, super um, sensitive. Um, They're called microRNAs and they can detect what level of cancer you might have. And so we've applied these in chickens. And so, yeah, we can actually test whether a chicken is stressed uh, and or in a good state of mind, which is pretty cool. And so how can you improve conditions for them? Is it about is it about feed? Is it about rearing conditions or all of the above? Look, all of the above. And, and you know, these markers are great. So let, let's just say, for example, a, a farmer wants to know if putting hay bales on the range for egg-laying chickens is a good thing. We can actually give them a tool now to test whether it has any impact. So, you know... Often, unfortunately, when humans think about animals, they put themselves in the animal's position, but they don't really. They, they actually think what they would think mm-hmm. if they were a chicken and not what a chicken thinks when it's a chicken. And so a lot of the ideas we get from the general public may not be what's best for a chicken. Now we've got some tools to actually look at that scientifically. So can I ask the big question then that, sort of faces everyone every time they walk into a shopping centre and they're looking at the caged and free-ranged eggs. Is there a difference and is one actually a more more ethical choice than the other? Great question. And I get asked all the time, Tamsin, what eggs should I buy? Now, 
I think at the end of the day, it's about where you come from and where your priorities sit. And the reason I say that is because, sure, chickens in cages cannot display normal behavior, but they're also protected from disease and they're also protected from their peers. And I say that because we know chickens can only remember a hundred other chickens. And you'll know that saying pecking order. So what happens when a chicken comes across another chicken it doesn't know, they need to work out who's higher in the pecking order. When there's thousands of chickens on a free range outdoor range, that becomes quite complicated because they Mm -hmm. don't know. And so there are some issues with, and it's normal behavior, but they will attack each other. So chickens might, um, you know, that they have quite interesting uh, social dynamics. And so the mortality of free ranges can be quite high, Um, anywhere from sort of 10 to 25% depending on farm management. You compare that with cages and you're looking at sort of anywhere from one to three percent now at the same time you might go well that's a natural behavior and I'd rather they have natural behavior so I think you know when you come to buy eggs you need to think about what's important to you but I would not like it to just finish there so my belief is that there is a better system and that we're not there yet Mm. and I would encourage people you know, the only way you get new ideas is to get usually fresh young people into the industry who ask questions, who say, why do we do it like that? Um, you know, I, I don't want to be an industry that sticks their head in the sand and says, hey, that's just the way it is. We don't care. Mm. Uh, I, I really think we've got to work to find a better system. Speaking of young, fresh people into the industry, thinking back on yourself as a young, fresh person in the industry, where did your journey start? From an agricultural background, a research background? So this this might be kind of funny. So as a kid, <laughs> um, my dad in- invented a whole heap of automation for the poultry industry. And I'm originally from Victoria. And mum would send one of us four kids up to, you know, with dad to deliver his machines And I distinctly remember saying as a teenager, I will never work in the poultry industry. So that's probably where it started. Um, But for me, no, I've come from a molecular biology background uh, and I did a PhD in plants. And you're probably thinking, why the hell is she in chooks? Well, I love technology. I love genetics. I love bioinformatics. And so for me... I managed to get a job using technology in chickens and the rest is history. So, yeah. And what was that technology? Um, so we were looking at gene expression, um, so response to disease and how people respond. Um, and then we used chicken as a model for um, other agricultural species and human. And then chicken just seemed to be pretty cool and it was the first uh, livestock livestock species to have its genome sequence its full genome sequence so that that meant we had an amazing suite of tools uh, now I'm showing my age because that was back in 2003 and that was super exciting but um, yeah for me that that was just a journey of, of being able to interrogate that gene level um, you know part of the animal and find out what's going on. 
Now that you've come all the way to be a director of a poultry hub and not just a researcher, how has that transition been in terms of keeping an eye on research? I mean, particularly doing molecular stuff, that moves so fast. It's got to be pretty terrifying trying to juggle all these balls in the air. Look, it is, but I think if I'd given up research altogether, I think I would lose a bit of, you know, what's going on. Um, You've just asked me after I've spent the last two days trying to remember how to write code for my bioinformatics (laughs) analysis. So luckily before I just came here, it it finally worked. So (laughs) it just takes a bit more time, I think, is the answer. But when you love what you do, time just sort of goes. Mm. Um, so, no, I, I love what I do. And, you know, Poultry Hub gives money out to researchers all across the country. And I think being a researcher, I understand the challenges that they face, uh, but I can also ask them the hard questions when they need to be asked as well. So, And I guess that kind of summarises the difference between being a researcher and a administrator really is whether you're doing the things yourself or facilitating other people doing things yeah exactly yeah so for people that are interested in perhaps joining the poultry hub or the industry itself uh, you work with a lot of students in the poultry hub yeah so look we have there's a lot of scope in industry if anyone's interested in the industry there are jobs like you wouldn't believe so definitely get in touch But if you're also interested in research, we have a whole heap of programs where we'll send undergrads on farm and we'll pay your expenses to get there and have a look and see what it's like. Um, We also have uh, scholarships for students to work with uh, poultry researchers as well. So if you're more interested in that research side Uh, and we have run and will be running uh, later in the year what's called a poultry hack where we try and solve <laughs> some cool problems that are in the industry. So there's lots of opportunities for engagement. And look, if you've got an idea and, and you don't think we know about it, get in touch. I'm more than happy to, to listen. And I imagine that uh, the image people might be having of working in agriculture is very much like, I don't know, being a farmer. Is that what it's like? Are you out in the fields collecting eggs or is it a little bit more varied than that? Oh, hugely varied. Um, By all means, there's lots of farm jobs, (laughs) but the automation in this industry is is huge. And I think, you know, engineers, mechanics, vets, there are so many opportunities, HR managers, there's, there's, you name it, the industry's got it. Um, And then, and you've got, you know, smaller industries like ducks and quail and turkeys. So there's not just chickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all have their differences in, in the way that they farm. Most of the farms now are fairly regional. Uh, so again, if you're keen to live regionally, that's, you know, it's not a bad job. Uh, but yeah, there are heaps of different types of jobs and lots of different skills that are required. And obviously having... A bachelor's degree would set you off on lots of different pathways in the industry. What about staying on to do postgrad work? Where would that end you up in the industry or in academia or somewhere else? Look, both. So great example, we had a PhD student here who finished two years ago and he came to me and he said, look, I love research, but I feel like I need to understand industry more. And so we got 
you know, arranged an internship where he's working now for a company down in, in Victoria and he's moved through different positions throughout that business. And, you know, what he's learnt uh, is amazing and I think he's been a real asset to the industry as well. So there's definitely scope uh, for for those sorts of development and I believe he'll come back probably to research but not only will he have more skills, but he will have awesome contacts, you know, for, for research for the future. I imagine a lot of people in other areas of academia are listening to that going, that's great, why don't we do that? Because academia can be a little bit disjointed from everything else going on in the world. It sounds like maybe your links to industry mean that that's not quite the case. Very much so. And we even have a... Uh, a program called Researcher in Industry. So this would be for more people doing a postdoc or a research scientist. And again, we subsidise them to go and stay and, and be on farm for a couple of weeks or in a processing plan or wherever it needs to be. And the reason we do that is because often scientists will come and say, hey, I've got this really great idea. How do I tell the industry they need it? And there's a few issues there because industry don't listen to that. So really, <laughs> when a scientist comes and tells industry what's going to solve their problem, the conversation stops. Mm. So we find if we send the researcher on farm, they'll naturally ask lots of questions. They'll get answers. The farm managers are very you know, happy to share. Uh, and nine times out of ten, they come back with a really cool project that's going to have direct impact on farm. So I hear this a lot that farmers might be a little bit sceptical or, or uh, reluctant to, to chat with academics. Is that just a holdover from the past? Is there still sort of tension there? Uh, look, I think, I think, to be honest, it's justified. As an academic myself, I, I, I get it. I mm. think, you know, academics are very good at, at solving problems and very good at the detail, but they're not always great at listening. And so I think if we learnt to listen a little bit more, I think that might bridge the gap. It's really not that hard to sit and listen, maybe have some reflection time and think about how your skills or your knowledge can be applied to fix that problem. So, Is that always possible given the demands on university academic to have time to sit and think and listen? God, no. But hey, <laughs> um, that's coffee time in the morning and I think... <laughs> It's interesting you raise that and, look, for me, um, I've got some amazing people that, that I get the chance to chat to them about their career and I really strongly encourage them to put that time aside. So once a month actually block out time to just sit there and think and that might sound crazy but if you don't do it, it never happens and it's amazing what you'll come up with Um Either that or go to conferences. That's usually when I do it. And, hey, not all the talks are super exciting. And so then you spend <laughs> that time then thinking, hey, I wonder what I could do about this. So, I mean, yeah. I don't quite know how you manage it because not only are you working across academia and industry, but you're also working across institutions and states being also based down at Deakin University down in Victoria. How does that work? Are you, you flying in, fly out? Is it all online? Uh, so prior to COVID, I used to go down <laughs> once a month, uh, but COVID has meant now I, well, I had a, a long time of not going down, uh, but now I go down every 
uh, second month. But I have to shout out to all the staff both here and at, at Deakin. They're amazing. So it's not just me. It's a team of people behind, you know, the lab down at Deakin or Poultry Hub here. And without those people, it, it just wouldn't work. So mm -hmm. it's not a, a one-person show, that's for sure. And now that you've experienced all these different sides of things, where do you see yourself ending up back doing more research or heading up more organisations? Look, I don't think I could ever give up research. I'm that person that asks why way too much um, and I love it. So, look, I don't know, I just signed another five-year contract and ran for another five years <laughs> and, hey, that's a long time in the scheme of things. So, well, um, although walking over here it is very, very cold out there and I do wonder why I live in Armidale with the cold, but, hey, it is so beautiful. I mean, Victoria is not a tropical paradise either. But... No, no, it's not. It's not. And I keep reminding myself I'm only two and a half, you know, two and a half yeah. hours to the coast and um, that, you know, I can cope. Right. Well, congrats on signing your latest five-year contract. It's, it's good to have you around a little longer. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks for joining me here on the STEMQ podcast. Stay tuned to hear more stories as we work to empower STEM innovation through the STEMQ precinct.